From St. Paul's second epistle to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, friends. Today is our final uh, Sunday of looking at St. Paul's epistle to Timothy, his second one. And I'm going to start off with a question, and it might sound strange and a little almost macabre, but I'm going to do it anyway. Here it is. Uh, what, are the worlds, what are the words that you would want on your tombstone? What are the words you would want on your tombstone? It's actually a big question. It's one of the most important questions you can ask yourself because the words that you would put there, summarizing your entire life in one pithy sentence, those words that you would put there will describe how you will live now. Because that sentence, the words on your tombstone, describes what your life is really about, your guts, your core. The, the Greek word, the biblical word for this is the heart, the cardia. It means like what actually makes you tick. And not only that, what is it about you that makes you tick, but how would you want other people to remember you? It's a question worth pondering, isn't it? It's one of those things we probably never really stop to think about. Because how you live your life now determines the words that you would put on that stone in the first place. How people will remember you. I'll give you an illustration. A couple years ago, I had a funeral here. Uh, I was in the chapel, and a person got, was the, the deceased was, uh, we were burying this person, and this person had, by all worldly standards, outwardly, all the marks of success. Right? everything you could want in this world. And then his son got up to give the eulogy, and I'm paraphrasing a bit, but it was something like this. Dad was always dressed to the nines, his tie perfectly tied, his suit perfectly fitted. He said, but what everyone remembers about Dad was his shoes. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And the person sitting next to me up at the altar leaned over and said to me, well, if that's how my son ever eulogized me, I would say I failed. So, but here's the thing to consider. If you don't think about this stuff, then you don't think about this stuff. So we're going to think about it today. How would you summarize the world, your entire life, in one sentence? How do you want people to remember you? And the reason I, I bring that up is here we are at the end of St. Paul's life. He is, this is his final thing he's written. And he writes to St. To Timothy, Timothy the following epitaph, his tombstone. Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's St. Paul's final words. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There's a lot in that one verse, but I want to just stop and think about it for a second. What exactly is, what is he fighting exactly, and what makes this fight good? I don't know about you, but when I think of a fight, I don't typically think of it as being good. But what is he fighting, after all, and why is it good? Well, we're going to talk about today. Paul, Paul's fight, Paul's fight against God. Paul's fight against himself, and then the biggie. What makes this fight good? Paul's fight against, fight against God. Paul's fight against himself, and then what, what is it that makes this fight good? 
So first thing, Paul's fight with God. It might sound strange that St. Paul, the most prolific evangelist of the first century, uh, that this guy, Paul, spent most of his time fighting with God, wrestling with God. In fact, if you know anything about Mother, um, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, you know, everyone, she's a very holy woman and one of the famous saints of the 20th century. If you read her bio, she tells you, I've wrestled, I've fought with God. St. Paul spent most of his adult life fighting against God. It's a recurring theme in Scripture over and over again that God uses those who fight, wrestle with him. Funny thing, it's the scrappers, it's the fighters that God seems to really work with. I'll give you one example, but there's lots. In Genesis chapter 32, there's a story about a guy named Jacob, Jacob in Hebrew, and Jacob is wrestling with God. It's a long story, but the, the gist of it is Jacob is literally going toe-to-toe, full-on cage match with the Almighty in the desert. They fight all night, wrestling, throwing chairs, bar stools, you name it. I'm, I'm embellishing. That's, that didn't really happen. But finally in the morning, God, or the angel of the Lord, hits him in the, in the hip, and it dislocates his hip, and finally Jacob cries, Uncle, all right, you win, you win. God always wins, by the way. <laughs> and so God changes Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel. That should sound familiar to you. Israel. Do you know what Israel means? Israel. Two words together. It means the person that fights with God. And then later on, of course, Israel has 12 boys, 12 sons, who have all these children, and they're known as Israelites, Right? the progenitors of Israel. And the thing that I always find fascinating is that God labels his people, then and now, those who wrestle with me. That might sound odd that God picks the scrappers, but just if you stop and think about it for a minute, it makes perfect sense. Think about the people that you wrestle with in your own life. They're the ones that you're closest with, the ones you're closest to. Think of the person that you had. Think of the last fight you had. Got it? Okay. It was either your spouse, your friends, or one of your children, right? Coworkers. I mean, unless you're some kind of like sociopathic. I was at Publix over on 53rd not too long ago, and this woman at the, this poor woman making sandwiches is making a sandwich for this person and the woman went all caring on her yelling at her and screaming at her and telling and i was like lady just calm down right why are you so frustrated i don't even know this person this is my point most normal people unless they lack that clutch they realize the person that we wrestle with the most are the ones that we love real relate here's the point i want you to see and it'll make sense Real, relate, real relationships with people or with God are passionate, and we fight, we wrestle. Not because we don't love, you see, but because we do. Think about the people that you are most invested in in this life. Those are the people, the, the people with whom you are the closest. Those are the runs you wrestle with. And I want you to also take that and realize something important if you've wrestled with God, and you have, or you are wrestling with God, and you probably are too, whatever it was you, stayed, you kept you up at night last night, guess what that is? That's wrestling with God. The thing you worry about right now, guess what that is? That is wrestling with God. But I want, you to, I want to challenge you to see something critically important. 
This wrestling is not a sign that God doesn't care, but it's a sign that he does care. When I, when I first went, I, back when I was 22 years old, I gradu- graduated from Penn State. Many of you know the story already. I went to North Carolina State in Raleigh to get a PhD in industrial psychology and statistics. And it was weird. For the first time in my life, I had a free ride, so I went. And I enjoyed it. Um, industrial psych is a really cool field, and I didn't uh, ABD, but that's another matter. Um, but for the first time in my life, when I was 22 years old, for the very first time in my life, I was alone. I had no family. I had no friends. I had no frat brothers. I had nobody at all in, at, at, at NC State. And not only that, I was like one of the youngest PhD candidates that were there. I was absolutely miserable. At the time, I was miserable. But I can look back on it now, and I can see God's hand all over it. He was breaking me. And I'm kind of used to it now, frankly, because now I know what it is. Once you've been broken, once you've wrestled with God, and you come through the other side, and you grow as a human being, you see it for what it is. Now I know what it is. I'm used to wrestling with God. And he wrestles with me, not because he doesn't love me, but because he does, you see. God is like a cosmic Jordan Peterson, right? He challenges us. He fights with us to grow us up, to make us stronger. And so if you're wrestling with God right now in some way, and you are, just take heart. Cardia. That's not because God doesn't love you, but because he does. So Paul's first fight, the good fight, Paul's first fight was with God, but Paul also wrestled with himself. In Romans chapter 7, verse 15, Paul writes this about his own actions, his own behavior. Paul fighting with himself, he writes this, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. You ever been there? Yes. I do not, I don't understand myself, Paul says. I don't understand my own actions. I know what I should do. I know what I want to do, and I don't do it. And the things that I shouldn't do, I do. Why? And then Paul says later on, wretched man that I am. I love this. It's loaded. Wretched man that I am. Who will free me? That's the operative point. Who will free me from this body of death? See, here's the thing. One of the greatest barriers to your life and my life is guilt. One of the greatest barriers to human flourishing is guilt. We, psychologists will tell you this. Guilt is a powerful motivator. What is guilt? Define your terms. Guilt is when you've done something you know you, you shouldn't have, right? And people do all sorts of crazy things to try to alleviate this guilt. They blame somebody else. It's Trump's fault. It's Biden's fault. It's the government. It's whatever. Fill in the blank. You've all done it. So have I. We all want to blame somebody because to carry that guilt is unbearable. Paul even says this. Wretched man that I am. But see, the hook hook is Paul doesn't leave it there. He says, who will free me? See, make no mistake. Guilt is... Guilt can be a good thing. God can and will use guilt. Use it to bring you to a state of change. You know, the word repent in the the Bible, it just means to change direction. It's all it means. 
And God will use guilt in your life and certainly in mine. He's done it to bring us to a state of repentance, to bring us to a state of going, oh my gosh, I got to make a change. I got to do something. God will use that. And that's actually good because it gets you from here to there. What are, what are some of the things that you carry? What are the secret guilts that you harbor? The regrets, the things, as our prayer book says, and we'll say it in a few minutes, the things we've done and the things we've left undone. Or do you, or do you use Paul's words, where do you fight against yourself? What are the things that you hate, but you do anyway, and the things that you should do and you don't? Let me just challenge you something here. Don't run from those things. Listen to them. Look, think about it like this. When your kids or your grandkids do something dangerous or self-destructive, something sinful, right, something wrong, we call them out on it. We challenge their actions, not because we don't love them, but because we do because we do. And we get angry, we get frustrated, and we tell them, you shouldn't have done this. They know you're right. They, they resent you for it. Nothing stings. My dad said to me once, nothing stings like an I told you so, right? But why are we surprised? Why are we surprised that our own Father in heaven would not sometimes use guilt to motivate us to make a change in our own lives? Why are we surprised by that? See, Paul wrestles with himself, but the, the difference with what Paul did is that Paul's guilt, his, his shortcomings, his sin, led him to repentance, led him to the cross. And I want to say this too. Guilt can be a very powerful, useful thing in one circumstance, and it's only this, when it causes you to change direction. I call that, and I made this up, good guilt. It's guilt that God uses to challenge you, to get you from where you are to where he wants you to be. Then guilt can be useful. And once you've made that change, it's time to put that away. Because Christ died for it on the cross to free you from it. But sometimes, sometimes we hang on to those things we've done or left undone. Things we've repented of. Things that we cannot forgive ourselves. Things that we hang on to rather than leaving them with the Lord and letting him heal us from them. Old Guilts, old shames, old shoulda, wouldas. You know, Anglicans have something called the sacramental confession. A confession is when you come into a, a situation, either in a room or in my office or whatever, and you sit down and you tell me your sins. It sounds really strange and it sounds really, really uncomfortable. If you've ever done it, it is incredibly cathartic. And what the priest says at the very end after pronouncing absolution, the priest says, your sins have been forgiven. Go and sin no more and pray for me, a sinner. Friends, guilt is a powerful motivator. Let God use it to bring you to a state of change. But then once you've done it, let it go. If you've prayed the prayer of confession today, when we do confession and I absolve you, if you mean that with your heart, if you've confessed the prayer of, of your sins, God really does take them. Let him have it. So Paul fights the good fight because he wrestles with God. Paul fights the, fights the good fight because he wrestles with himself and brings him to repentance. And then here's the money question. Here's the million-dollar question. What makes this fight good? What is a good fight? You know what a bad fight is? You know what a bad football game is? Penn State played one last week. What does it say? What does it say? I fought the good fight. I thought fights were bad. Aren't fights bad, Mom? Fights are bad, son. What makes it a good fight? Paul says, I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. What makes it good? Well, 
what makes Paul's fight good, this may sound weird, is that he finished the race. He finished the fight. That Greek word for fight is the word kalos. And it means, uh, it's kind of hard to describe. It's a fight that, a, it, it's, a, uh, it's both an archetype and an actual thing. What I mean is, a kalos is a hero. It's a fight that, as a fight, it's someone that you admire who has overcome odds and become victorious. That's what Paul says, I have fought that fight and now I am victorious, not by my own actions, but by God who works through me. That's what makes that fight good, you see. Because as painful and as difficult and as challenging and as struggling and sleepless nights as that fight might be, what makes it good is that it strengthens your trust in God. You know, the Greek people say, oh, makes your faith stronger. I don't know about that, actually. Depending on what you mean by faith. That word for faith, the Greek word for faith is the word pastuo, and it means trust. And the way you learn to trust God is by trusting him. And the way you learn to trust God is by letting, wrestling with him and seeing that he actually does what he said he would do. The whole meaning and purpose of life, the whole purpose of your existence on earth is to learn to trust God. That's it. That's the meaning of life. You pay me five bucks on the way out for that free advice. That's the meaning of life, to learn to trust God, and you learn to trust him by trusting him, and you learn to trust him by wrestling with him and seeing that when you rely on him, he actually does what he says and says what he will do, which is change you. So here's go, let's go back to the question. I want you to think about this today. What will, your, what will your stone say? If you had to summarize your life in one sentence, and it's got to be a short one, right? It can't be a long one, a short sentence. What would it be? If you've never thought about that before, I want you to think about that today because the words you would put on your stone are the very words that you would live by now. There are few people in history, very few people in history, that leave a mark on, West, on the church and on Western culture more than Paul of Tarsus, one of the greatest evangelists of the Christian faith, a debater, a theologian, a church planter, a pastor. There are few figures in human history that have more impact on the world in which we live, more influential than St. Paul of Tarsus. And yet, and yet on his stone, this is what it says. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. The trust. Are you being a Christian man or woman whom God has placed in your family, in your circle of friends, in this church? Are you being the Christian, woman, Christian man or woman who is fighting the good fight and an example not only in the fact that you are, have faith in God, but that you're struggling and you're wrestling and he's making you a hero, stronger? What will your stones say? Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for St. Paul, who fought the good fight, who wrestled with you, who wrestled with his own brokenness, and fought the good fight because he learned to trust in you. Help us to fight our fight. Help us to trust in you more and more each day. Help us to keep the faith. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.